Today we're going to get into Acts chapter 15. So, Acts chapter 15, 1 through 2. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So unless you are circumcised. So, gentlemen, next week, next Sunday, Circumcision Sunday. You guys ready? <laughs> you guys aren't showing up? What the heck? No? Yeah. Anytime this subject is even brought up, you notice how all the guys kind of start, start squirming a little? Every single time we start fidgeting, we start shaking our heads involuntarily. <laughs> Not today, Satan. <laughs> but, but actually, I'm not, I'm not going to be talking about circumcision today. Everyone's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> no, there, there's something else that I wanted to go through, and there's something other than that isn't about circumcision that I wanted to talk about. Circumcision is, is the subject of the argument that these guys are having, but that's not the point. The point is we see two groups of Christians having this dispute. And this argument is actually a, a, a really big deal. This isn't some frivolous thing that they're disagreeing on. It's not like, well, should we do communion once a month, once a week? How should we do it? Should we use grape juice or should we use wine? This is actually a matter of salvation itself. And it says that there's no small dissension and dispute with each other. That means that both sides dug their heels in and said, no, you're wrong. No, wait, you're wrong. This has to happen. No, it doesn't. Now, within the modern church, what typically happens when you have a serious disagreement within, within the body of Christ? We all leave. We all split. That's why you see so many denominations. You see American Baptists, Southern Baptists, First Southern American Baptists, Independents, all these different splits and things like that. People get offended and they leave. They, they church hop until they're not offended somehow. And so because of that, some churches try not to have any conflict at all. They try to water things down and they bottle it up and we put on fake smiles or, or things get really passive aggressive in church because there's a dispute or disagreement. But neither of these methods are correct. You can't have a problem split the church, nor can you just simply ignore it away, especially when it's a doctrine as, as strong as this one. You know, in Galatians chapter 5, I think I have it up there. I don't think this is working today. Turn it on. Turn it on. Aha! I just had to press buttons. No, that's it. In Galatians chapter 5, it lists the works of the flesh. Idolatry, fornication, jealousy, all that good stuff. In this particular passage, it says that dissension is a work of the flesh. So are these Christians sinning because they have a dispute? Well, not really. 
Look at what the group of believers do in response to this dissension. They determine to say, okay, we're having this problem and we can't sort it out amongst each other. So let's go to the elders and let's go to the leaders and let's all get together and let's sort this out. They recognize that their conflict is with each other and they're honest about it. They, but the difference here is they want to actually genuinely resolve things. Both sides believe that they're correct, but both sides still recognize each other and understand each other and say, okay, but let's come together and let's get this sorted out. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called, with all lowliness, gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. See, you can, you can genuinely have a disagreement with people here. It's okay. You can have an issue. As a matter of fact, it's a guarantee you're going to have disagreements amongst each other. I've had disagreements with people in this, in this room. But the purpose of it was then we didn't say, well, forget you. Screw you, pal. We came together and resolved things and figured things out. We're going to have disagreements about doctrinal issues and sometimes those issues aren't that big of a deal. Sometimes they are larger issues, like this one that the early church is having. Don't, don't get me wrong. One side of this argument is absolutely 100% incorrect and needs to be taken care of. But there's nothing wrong with that within the church. The problem is when we stop striving to keep that unity within the spirit. The problem is, is whether it's a minor issue that becomes bigger than it should have been or a bigger issue that someone flat out refuses correction on and then the issue, whatever it is, becomes so much more important than staying within the community and unity of the body. That's the sin of the flesh that Paul's talking about back in Galatians. That's why it's so important that these two opposing sides of the argument of circumcision made this decision to come together with the elders and the apostles over this matter. Because again, back in one of the first chapters of Acts, it says they continued within the doctrine of the apostles. So they said, okay, we're going to go back to our elders. We're going to go back to our leaders and get things sorted out. Acts 15, 3 through 5. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all the things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose, rose up, saying, it's necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. 
Once again, I'm not going to get into circumcision. Steering clear of that today. Because, again, we hear like this, this big statement of these group of believers that say, okay, we've got to circumcise them, we've got to blah, 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 blah. But this is what caught my attention. Some of the Pharisees believed in Jesus. Can you believe that? These were enemies. These are the bad guys of the New Testament. We always dunk on Pharisees. But these guys believed in Jesus as the Messiah. These guys strive to follow him. But these are the same guys who called Jesus a blasphemer, who tried to test him, who got him arrested, who got him crucified. But again, this is a good example. Never count anyone out of salvation. Some of these Pharisees can make it to Jesus, and if that's the case, then God can save anyone. These guys are even, these are some of the ones who are submitting to the authority of the apostles. Can you imagine that? A group of Pharisees. These are the elite, high-class people who are going to guys like Peter and James, who are just lowly fishermen-type people. And they're like, okay, we submit to your authority. Here's our argument. This is what they should do. Now, the problem is, are these Pharisees acting like Pharisees? Yes, they just can't get that out of their heads. Unfortunately, this is something that they're going to continue to do, something that they might have an issue with. And, and we see over and over, even to this day, that there's some people who still hold this same kind of belief. We're not that church, guys. Don't worry about it. You guys can chill out. But again, we all have these particular hang-ups. We all have these doctrines and beliefs that God has to continuously work on with us. That's actually part of the sanctification process. This takes time. As a matter of fact, it takes a lifetime. This isn't just something quick. We all have to, again, deconstruct and get rid of this bad theology that we've held on to and resubmit ourselves to the truth and say, what is it? What is the foundation? And especially with new believers, we have to be patient and forgiving sometimes and understand that, again, this is a lifetime process. Everyone comes up with something that doesn't fall into biblical doctrine. And sometimes we recognize it right away, and sometimes it takes process. Sometimes it takes someone to say, hey, wait a minute, you know, this doesn't quite line up with this. But that person should always be patient with someone. Unless they flat out say and refuse, nope, this is how it is and this is how it will always be and, and I don't care what you have to say. But this is what Paul instructs. This is why Paul gives the instructions like he does in 2 Timothy. Preach the word. Be prepared in and season and out of season. Correct, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instructions. You know why any time the Bible talks about dealing with people, there's a reason why they say, okay, be patient, bear with one another, because we're all hard to deal with. We all got our issues and our hang-ups, and we're going to nip at each other, and we're going to have problems with each other. That's why over and over again it says, all right, all right, be cool, be cool, chill out with each other, calm down. 
But again, the problem becomes when the person who has this false doctrine refuses correction. They just don't accept it. They say, nope, this is how it's going to be. This is where heresies come from. When despite biblical evidence to the contrary, people continue to accept and believe a false gospel of some kind or another, mainly because maybe it's comfortable. Maybe it's something they've always held on to. Maybe it's something their parents taught them. Maybe it's easier to believe that particular false doctrine than to submit to the authority of of biblical doctrine and live according to that. Because again, the Bible says that Christianity, the way, is narrow and difficult at times, and broad is the way to eternal damnation. So sometimes it's easier to try to make up your own to justify yourself and say, well, I'm still in the path, but again, this is where we have a problem with this. And this is what the church is actually trying to avoid as they come together to discuss this matter of circumcision. Acts 15, 6 through 9. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledges them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did us and made no distinction between us and them and purifying their hearts by faith. There's a commentary that I read that talks about the argument of the believing uh, Pharisees this way. According to the Pharisees, Gentiles are free to come to Jesus. We welcome them and want them to come to Jesus, but they have to come through the law of Moses in order to come to Jesus. Paul and Barnabas, among others, have allowed the Gentiles to come to Jesus without first coming through the law of Moses. This is their hang-up. But Peter, on the other hand, through own personal witness, says, wait a minute, wait a minute. This Paul or Barnabas doing anything, it's God themselves. God is showing acceptance of the Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit. He's telling them that, wait, none of us circumcised these guys. I wasn't going to volunteer to do that. And he's reminding them of the time, Peter is, of when he went and preached the gospel to the Gentile Cornelius and all of his Gentile household, and then this happened in Acts chapter 10, 44 through 45. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on on those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out to the Gentiles also. So Peter is trying to tell these guys, wait, wait, remember, I had this vision from God. There was a sheet with the animals. And God specifically said, don't call anyone unclean or common. And then I went to Cornelius' house. And while I was there, I didn't circumcise a single one of those guys. I merely preached the word to them. I preached the gospel to them. And God acknowledged their hearts and acceptance by giving them the Holy Spirit. And that's it. 
And so he continues on in Acts 15, 10 through 11. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Here's the thing. Here's what the Pharisees are asking these guys to follow. See if I can get to it. Within the Old Testament, there's 613 laws and commands that the Jews themselves are called to follow and obey. That's 613. We always think of like just the Ten Commandments. 613 laws that you have to remember and abide by every single day of your life. So the Pharisees' argument here is Jew and Gentile alike still have to follow that. Oh, and along with, you know, hey, hey, full-grown men, come and be circumcised, because that's part of it too. And Peter is stopping them and saying, wait a minute, we couldn't even keep that. We couldn't even bear that burden. That's why we needed a Savior. That's why we needed the Messiah. Are you kidding me? Peter, a Jew, is saying, I couldn't even keep a hold of 613 commands. And so based on the vision and, and, and that God gave me and the witnesses that I saw, both Jew and Gentile alike are saved by grace through the Lord Jesus Christ alone. See, again, we have to be careful to not put what we think are God's laws and commands in anybody's life, especially new believers. Okay, we don't have the 613 commands, but some of us come from churches and denominations and various religious backgrounds that have a lot of rules that weren't necessarily biblical. And so we go around going, oh, see, they did this, they did that, they did this. They need to follow this. They should be doing that. When God never commanded them to do that. When God didn't even command you to do that. If we could have kept the law, then why did Jesus have to die? That's the argument. That is the millennia-old argument among Christians, even to this day. If we could follow any rules then why on earth would God subject his one and only son to torment, punishment, rejection, crucifixion, and death on our behalf? And this is what Paul and Barnabas and everybody's saying. Paul and Barnabas then chime in and they back up what Peter is saying. In Acts 15, 12, then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. Reading and going through these stories puts in perspective more weight 
an understanding of why both Peter and Paul wrote these various letters to the church. Again, they didn't just make this stuff up. They weren't having a marketing meeting and they were pitching ideas and saying, okay, how, how can we make this new gospel more popular? And they're like, oh, we'll just, we'll just come up with this idea of being saved by grace. That'll get people in. That'll tell people. On the contrary, they lived it. They saw it within their own lives. They saw it within other people's lives. I mean, Peter was just as amazed and shocked that the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit as those around them of the circumcision. The difference is, is Peter said, oh, okay, this means God accepts them. Whereas the Judaizers and those who wanted to keep circumcision said, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's not enough. They still have to do this over here. I mean, again, this is why they wrote 2 Peter 1.1 and Ephesians 2.8-9. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle to Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. He's declaring that the righteousness that we have is only from Jesus. And of course, Paul continuously says, like in Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. These two men saw the evidence. They saw this put into play. And then going back to the to, um, disputes and disagreements, these two men, Peter and Paul, didn't always get along. They had very different personalities. Paul had a temper problem, and Peter liked to put his foot in his mouth. And so there's even a scripture in Ephesians 2. You can go read it if you want yourselves. In 2, 11 through 21, there's a story where um, it seems that before some people, some Jews came to Antioch, Peter had no problem again hanging out and eating with Gentiles and, and talking with them and, and enjoying their company and all these different things. But as soon as these Jews, these circumcision people started coming and started proclaiming you know, circumcision and all that stuff, Peter and even others withdrew from the Gentiles and started showing a little bit of hypocrisy. So Paul goes off on this long speech because he's, Paul tends to be long-winded. That's why if you read his letters, he has run-on sentences like for days because he just talks and talks and talks and he reminds Peter and the others, what do you guys think you're doing? Don't Remember, saved by grace. It's all about faith. He's calling them out. He's correcting them. But, again, unity in the Spirit. They both considered each other on the same team and even acknowledged each other. Galatians 2.8, For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship of the circumcised also worked effectively in me towards the Gentiles. And Peter acknowledges Paul. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. 
Neither one of them, even in disagreement, said, well, is Peter really an apostle? Remember that time he denied Jesus? So should you really believe his words? And then Peter was like, well, Paul wasn't really even there. He didn't see the crucifixion. He didn't see the miracles. Is he really an apostle? Should you really be believing in him and what he's saying about Jesus? They both effectively come together, and they both see that both have been accepted by the grace of Jesus Christ and called according to each one's abilities. Peter mainly stayed towards the Jews while Paul went towards the Gentiles. They didn't look at each other and say, my mission is more important than yours or my mission is better than yours. They kept the unity of the Spirit. And so after a great cloud of witnesses come together to say that none of these Gentiles followed the law or were circumcised, it was all grace by faith by the word of the gospel, it was then that James actually steps in. Acts 15, 13 through 17. And after they had become silent, James answered saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the, first vi- at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophet agree, just as it is written, After this I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. James is also doing the correct thing. You have these witnesses who say, wait, saved by grace, saved by grace. This is the things that we saw. And then James accepts that and says, okay, but it's backed up by scripture, guys. Here's what the prophet said. So we can accept this. This isn't just something they saw and that we're going to blindly accept. James goes back to Scripture and says, oh wait, God already said this was going to happen. This we can definitely believe and accept. And so James continues on and starts making a declaration. And at 15, 18 through 21, known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore I judge that we should not trouble these from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from these polluted, from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has been throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogue every Sabbath. Again, here's what a commentary says about these particular commands that James is proposing to the Gentiles. It says, these three commands had to do with the eating habits of Gentile Christians. Though they were not bound under the law of Moses, they were bound under the law of love. The law of love told them, don't unnecessarily antagonize your Jewish neighbors, both in and out of the church. And then the part about abstaining from sexual immorality It just wasn't um, about, hey, don't have sex before marriage kind of thing. Among the Gentiles at the time, it it was also, it wasn't as widely accepted as common sense to, you know, not marry and sleep with your first cousin. So he's saying, okay, Gentiles, you need to chill out with that. I mean, today it's accepted practice, but... This, this is why even Paul was so horrified within the church of Corinth when he finds out someone is sleeping with his, 
with their stepmother, and everyone is just, just fine with it. And he even goes on and he says, guys, even by your old pagan standards, this is disgusting. What are you guys doing? But going back to what James says, we should not trouble the Gentiles who are turning to God. This is what makes the proposition of these Pharisee believers so dangerous. Not only does this doctrine put your faith and trust in anything other than Jesus, which you're already on shaky ground if you're trying to do that, but it's also laying such a heavy burden on brand new people who are just turning to God. And it can crush them. I mean, can you imagine what these particular Gentiles are going through? They're just getting used to the idea of one creator God who actually loves them, who came to earth to actually help them and save them. If you've ever read pagan mythology, I mean, the gods are just awful and cruel and fickle and all of this stuff, and you better worship them or else something awful will happen to you. And they had many occasions in their own mythology where the gods come down to earth just to mess with humans because they're bored that day. So they are just getting used to the idea that God himself stepped into mankind and didn't require anything from them other than, I'm here to save you. I'm here to teach you a way back to God, your creator, your sovereign. That is a brand new concept that they're going through. This is a foreign idea. But the Pharisees are then going to come to them and say, by the way, not only now do you have to be circumcised, but here's those 613 laws you've got to obey. That's soul-crushing for anyone to have that particular kind of expectation. Not only that, it's hypocritical because even these Pharisees couldn't keep it. But that's why you have to be patient and teach and correct and be with both the Pharisees and the Gentiles of the church. It's like, no, you're not going to hell for eating pork chops. but you can't marry your cousin. That's just wrong. Don't do that. But again, it all goes back to the law of love. So just as the Pharisees shouldn't provoke the Gentiles with the law, the Gentiles shouldn't antagonize the Pharisees with their liberty. 1 Corinthians 10.23 All things are lawful to me, but not all things are helpful all things are lawful to me, but not all things edify. I have the liberty to do these things. But if it's going to hurt my brother or sister, then I probably shouldn't do it. That's the law of love. That's what we need to remember. So again, we have this, this mixture. If you feel the need, I mean... Pork chops are gross to me. I, I don't like pork. But if you feel that, okay, I'm, I'm going to, for the sake of my walk with Jesus, I'm going to abstain from that. 
then I'm not going to walk up to you and start munching on bacon because that's the law of love. I need to care about you more than myself. I mean, that's what Jesus did. Again, that's the concept of Jesus. He cared more about us than anyone else or himself. You guys like that meme? (laughs) See, again, it's really weird, but not a sin. (laughs) So remember, we got to keep the unity of the Spirit. We're going to have disagreements. We're going to have problems. We're going to need correction. But always remember, we're one body, one faith. Be careful to not put your trust in anything else other than Jesus. Always remember, the apostles witnessed and understood we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And then again, I keep emphasizing, this is why we need to know the Scripture. Everything that Peter and Paul witnessed and understood was backed up by Scripture. The Old Testament, every single time, It wasn't just, I had this vision, so now we're going to accept that you had this vision. You can have a vision that God is a flying spaghetti monster, but it's not going to be found in Scripture. But you can have a vision that says, hey, don't call anyone unclean or common, and then you can go back to the Old Testament and realize, oh, God always intended for the Gentiles to be a part of the family of God. And lastly, we can all of us who have been saved have hang-ups, just like the Pharisees. They, have, they just have this thing. You have to follow the law of Moses. There, there was just something about it that they couldn't take, let go of. We all have to root out this bad doctrine within us all the time. For Pharisees and Gentiles, it's a sanctification process all throughout our entire life. There are things that I held on to that I had to let go of as time went on and I became a believer more and more. There are things that I'm probably holding on to today that I will learn and go through the scriptures and say, I need to let go of that. I need to walk away from that. I need correction on that. That's why we need each other. That's why just as I bring the scriptures to you, you guys need to be going to the scriptures and saying, okay, wait a minute, Pastor Michael, you said this, but it says this here. Because sometimes I'll need correction. So as the worship team comes up, I have one last thing, because again, we shouldn't put yoke on people that God never intended for anyone to, to hold on to. Again, very simple scripture, Matthew 11 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The thing about this is there are hard things within Christianity. You know, you have to die to yourself. You have to walk by faith. There are times when people are persecuting you. But Jesus never said, okay, good luck. Jesus is right beside you holding up that burden because of the sacrifice that he did on the cross. 
He gives you the Holy Spirit to do and give you the power to do the things he even commands you to do. And that's the difference. The Pharisees wanted to place a heavy burden on the Gentiles and not help them lift it up. Jesus says, hey, this life of Christianity is going to be difficult for you, but I am right there with you. So as believers, we need to be with each other. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that your burden is light. I thank you that you don't just give us commands and and tell us to go beyond our way. I thank you for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for being in our lives as believers. Thank you for guiding us and helping us and giving us the power and the strength to be able to do the things that you have called us to do. We ask you, Father, to help us to be patient with one another, to bear with one another, that when disputes or issues come, that we come together in the unity of the Spirit and that we sort things out according to your will, not anyone else's opinion or not what anyone else thinks that we should do, but what you say we need to do. We thank you, Father, for your blessings. We ask you to please be with us throughout the week. Help us again to live our lives in you throughout the week and not leave our Christianity at the door. In Jesus' holy name. Amen.